Hello and welcome to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback, where we traipse through the creamy highs, terrifying lows and the dizzying middles of seasons 1 to 12 throughout The Simpsons through random episode generation. I'm your co-host Tyler McRae, joined by, not Cal this time, oh no, what's this? A new challenger has approached, um, please welcome everyone, Danny Birdsall, he's a Good friend of mine, we did the same uh, screenwriting course there. He knows his chops about editing, production, all sorts. Um, Danny, how are we? It's good to have you. I'm good, thank you for having me. I remember you did that same joke when Sasha was on the podcast. <sighs> Don't expose me, man. Kayfabe, <laughs> as the same wrestling. Kayfabe. I suppose right off the bat, um, I've asked with a couple of other people, what is your relation with The Simpsons? How did you get into it yourself? Um, yeah, just tell me why you love it so much. Well, it's one of those things that's just always been there since I was a child. I literally cannot remember a time where The Simpsons wasn't on. So it just kind of became a cultural prognosis type thing. And also, I think my love for it really developed around when I was like 11 years old. You know, those summers outside of school, didn't have many friends, got to do something to fill the time. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So it's always been omnipresent. Oh, yeah. Got to the point when, when I was in year seven, I'm pretty sure I spoke more in Simpsons quotes than I did in actual sentences. Yeah, you know you reach that bond with friends when you can just um, come back and forth with quotes. Or you can test out meeting new people when you drop it in and they realise and you get that glint in their eyes. Like, oh, all right, I'll see you, pal. Absolutely. See Specifically, you. Homer's scream is one that I I can recreate easily because yeah. I did all the time. All right, I may I may ask you for that uh, midway through this um through this episode here. Now you say um, when you reached 11, so maybe not right off the bat, but um, what was, can you remember your first episode or oh, your first God. Simpsons memories? That would have been when I was like three or four or something. Oh wow, that early. Yeah, I think my, the early, absolute earliest memory I have is um, the episode where it's a flashback of Bart being born. Oh right, yeah. And the first thing he does is sets Homer's tie on fire. Oh, right, okay. I was like, hey, he did that on purpose. How could he? He's set 10 seconds old. And the episode we're going to be reviewing today is The Crepes of Wrath from Season 1, Episode 11, uh, written by George Meyer, Sam Simon, John Swartzwelder, and John V. And the couch guys, the family hurries into the couch, and Homer pops off and saying dough. Do you have any initial thoughts on this? Because, um, <laughs> spoilers for folks, um, I was quite disappointed with this one. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you go back to especially season one when they haven't figured out what they want the show to be and some of the simplified elements like even down to the couch gags the joke is just homer falls off the couch you can see where the the elements that they're still experimenting with like in this episode uh it's, i think it's the first appearance of uh, principal skinner's mother and it is it is the first appearance of agnes you're right yeah and she's portrayed as this quite innocently naive sweet old lady which is not what we come to know her as well, i suppose like with any sitcoms pilot series they are still finding their feet even like <clears throat> through the animation because there's a few rough sort of gurns and groans especially from the two french characters there I've, we've done a i think we've done at least one more uh, season one episode but i believe it's just the same sort of critiques they're finding the feet the animation is a bit dodgy but there's still some nice sweet moments some curious moments as well that we um can all enjoy but you did talk about agnes and i suppose we'll uh, mention it now yeah, she is not the sort of gruff, hating mother um, that we've come to love and know now, is she? No, instead she refers to her son as spanky, like it's a term of endearment. Now that was one of the few moments I really enjoyed, just the fact, um, I don't know about you, but that's really a secondary school memory that I can relate to, just um, 
It seemed to be with the uh, janitor or the caretaker. And we found out his first name was John. And we were supposed to call him, like, Mr. Leveson. So he was like, all right, John. Yeah. All right, good to see you, John. And he just kept, call me Mr. Leveson. Do not call me John. We open up the episode with, um, just seems like, honestly, a typical sitcom opening of, oh, my pesky son, he doesn't keep his room clean and that. And Homer's not happy with it. And he ends up tripping and falling down the stairs. Um, nearly damn paralyzing themselves. So this is a very sheer and um, sharp introduction to this uh, family. I don't know what you thought, Dan. I mean, the moment in that scene that stands out to me is Bart has a pet frog called Froggy. Yeah, um, obviously that didn't stick. Again, that was one of the things that I thought was just typically sitcom, he's got to have a pet. But yeah, nothing really came of that. And I thought the whenever they did mention the frog, it was just sort of a tiny bit to pad out time or just have him say something to move to the next scene. Yeah, and like you said, it's a very sitcommy, typical type scene, just the dad being upset with the mess and everything and injuring himself. Yeah. You can almost hear the laugh track. Oh, the and then the big laugh track coming in. Yeah, you feel like if that episode was done a couple seasons later, it would have been so much more exaggerated. Marge and Lisa come in and they see Homer. Um, time has passed so much that um, Crusted the Clown, is, the batteries have sort of pretty much burnt out. And this actually happened with um, my dad. Not so much he fell down and nearly snapped his spine, but I think he hid my... Showing my age now, but I had a tickle me and my tongue when I was about three or four. And I don't know why, but I must have hidden it somewhere. And my dad, for two, was on a massive hunt for it. But every now and then, sort of throughout that, you could hear, like, tickle me. Like, the creepiest sort of toy ever. Like, a massive um, Chucky sequel there. But never did find that toy and... Might still, thankfully it's in my old house, hopefully it doesn't like consume me and try and follow me in that. But yeah, it was very reminiscent of that, that scene. I think maybe that gag was the inspiration for the Treehouse of Horror segment with the killer Krusty doll. Oh my god, it might be. It might be, and for anyone who didn't realise, um, go to our Treehouse of Horror 4 episode and we go through that uh, clown to kill segment. But you might be right there, Dan, actually. That'd be very uncoincidental if it's not either way. Marge isn't too happy, Homer wants him wants her to bring him the boy, bring him the boy. Um, but Marge just tells him that, oh, you know, his trick back's playing up. Again, Homer ends up being, what, smelly, overweight, well, the smelly thing's more jokes in season three, but overweight, bold. But, like, trick back never really caught on, like the frog. No. Like, that never really came back as, like, a symptom of Homer or a characteristic of Homer. I think it's because what little we get of him doing it in this episode. He's just kind of a jerk. He just like rings his bell shouting for Marge to make him a sandwich to get orders. So we were pre-pre-jerk-ass Homer, as yeah. they say on the communities. But this isn't really, that was never really Homer's thing. Like he's a bad husband in a lot of ways because he's lazy and he's stupid, but he's never actively aggressive. And that's kind of one of those traits that he has in this episode. And I can clearly see why he didn't catch on because of that. But is forced to clean his room and he's just bunging stuff away in the cupboard that. And he comes across um, cherry bombs. He thought he blew all those guys up. So he ends up taking this final cherry bomb to school and talking with all his friends there. And Principal Skinner has his mother, has Agnes um, with him that day visiting the school grounds. Um, and he won't introduce them all to Lewis, Wendell, Milhouse and uh, Bart Simpson. And Agnes can't believe that this is the Bart Simpson he's talked about because he seems so sweet. I am, and Simpson! Uh, that was one of the few moments I really enjoyed. Strange, because that's another one of those uh, moments that you can tell if that was done later on. That would have been uh, uh, 
Superintendent Chalmers or Super Nintendo Chalmers. Oh yeah, he would have perfectly fit in with that. I think he would have emphasized it a lot more. But again, still trying to have characters like Richard and Lewis be there when they don't really have any personality. You can see why they didn't really stick around apart from just background characters later on. Yeah, they bring them out as like filling in backgrounds and that or for the odd character design like in Das Boss and all that. But yeah, they didn't really stick around as tertiary characters, uh, shall we say. Bart decides to use his cherry bomb in the best way possible. Now, I tend to ignore sort of science and sort of plot conveniences and all that, but how can you explode something if it goes underwater? Uh, you know what? Now, talk me through this um, TV science now, please, Danny. Well, it's been bothering me ever since I rewatched the episode for this that I know it's a reference to some film, but for the life of me, I cannot remember what it is. The exploding toilet. I think it might be just relating to those old 80s college hijinks films. Yeah. The ones that Homer's a big fan of, Animal House and all that type. It's weird that this would be an episode that references the college films like Animal House and then also has references to high French cinema. Yeah, it's a, it's a real peculiar, it's a real um, mixed bag of rebels with the references this episode. I will give you that. He does stick it in the toilet, it does explode. As much as the science behind it, I do like that. I do like how they've animated it and just one by one. But um, at that same time, unfortunately, Agnes is um, using the bog. And because I'm not with Carl, we use a lot crude joke about um, what happened with Agnes. But I'll just say she um, she gets wet. Oh, no, that... Actually, <laughs> actually that's, um, that's more of a tiptoe around, actually. <laughs> no, she gets Poseidon's kiss. <laughs> oh... That's even better, yeah. See, this is why I have you on, Dan. For your puns and your um, deep production knowledge. That's why I have you on. So you're going to flush it? What can I say? I got a weakness for the classics. I think I need to make a stop at the little girl's room. <laughs> okay, mother. Yeah, this way. This is the final straw to Skinner. He grabs him by the ear and um, this is when we find out that Homer's um, bedridden or couch-ridden. And yeah, he's treating Marge like a piece of shit, really, even though he is completely somewhat incapacitated with the little bell and that. Like, can you imagine someone just doing that? Just the complete cheek of it. Yeah, just no. That's a relationship that would not last long enough to have three kids mm. if he's just like that, taking advantage of her. And again, that's another one of those scenes. You pay attention to uh, the geography of the Simpsons house. It's completely wrong there. Oh yeah, it was for, it's forever changing for the purposes of the plot. I wasn't quite sure with... Um, I was alright with most of Homer's requests like a sandwich, but um, cocktail weenies in syrup. Now, does he mean like in a brine like you get in those shitty Aldi Vienna sausages in the can, or do you think he actually means like a sweet syrup like Lyle's Golden? Oh, it's got to mean syrup. I, I fucking hope not. Cause, uh, I'm I'm not one for like mixing sweet and savoury. Like I can't deal with pork chops and apple sauce, and I know that's like a massive go-to, but I can't stand it myself. I don't know about you. I mean, remember like his pattern moon waffles when he skips church. Like Homer just has the most disgusting diet, so I can definitely imagine him mixing sweet and savoury stuff together like that. I always get semi-tempted to do it, but then I realise like I don't fancy a. Bypass heart surgery at all. <laughs> Principal Skinner comes to the house with Bart's ear in hand. Bart escapes up the stairs and 
Principal Skinner has an offer to uh, Marge and Home, and I usually um, he offers them a exchange trip for Bart to France. Um, but usually this comes to the more gifted students, but for Bart, he's willing to take a chance and just get him out of everyone's hair. And, you know, there's a tiny bit of back and forth between uh, Skinner and Homer, which I, I quite liked. It wasn't a major thing I liked, but I can appreciate the nice back and forth, the common ground they have over hating Bart to an extent. Yeah, it feels like in 30 seasons, you don't get that many scenes of Homer and Principal Skinner just sort of, relating to each other over their hatred of Bart in a way. Well, not even hatred, but more of disgust of his behaviour. I think with season one, Skinner, I think this is the most disciplinarian you are ever going to see of him. And like disciplinarian where you don't mess with him, not like, oh, we'll brush him off because he's a sad man who lives with his mother, where a lot of, I think the best comedy of Simpsons ever comes from Skinner. But yeah, he's a completely different person in this series. It also does have one of the best visual jokes in the episode when Marge looks through the eyepiece and just sees this exaggerated version of Skinner's face. Yeah, he's very Mr. Spock looking with the pointed ears and the pointed chin. He's very angular. Homer loves this idea. Marge isn't too unsure because, you know, she's caring. She's sweet. So she decides to talk one-on-one -on -one with Bart. That's where we get the old pad-and-out frog line as well. But um, Bart can't see a downside to this, and he can't see the wood through the trees. He can't see it as a ploy to get him out of there. But uh, Homer and Skinner share a sweet little moment as well, which is a yes, sweet elation, bon voyage, boy. And they can't wait to get him out, and uh, he's away to France. But in exchange for Bart going to France, it's not a French student coming to the US. It'll be a Albanian student, little uh, a deal. And I believe you have some research on Albania and from what I'm aware it's quite accurate um Adil's accent and the dialogue itself there. Yeah and also his uh, full name both uh, Adil and I can't remember what his last name is they're both Hox references. Hoxha it might be. Something like that they're both references to former Albanian prime ministers. Oh so they've really done their yeah, they did their research. All right. Well yeah done. Simpsons writers are not lazy when it comes to just having these very small details that do not matter. Oh no. Give it, give, it, give it 12 seasons and uh, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens with that. Something I always find weird is Bart agreeing to go to France. Because the only sort of reason he gets is, oh wow, I get to go on a plane, that's cool. Well, I guess you've got to think, I, I know, thankfully I'm blessed enough to have even travelled to uh, one other country in my life, so it, I guess it is very true for up a lower middle class kid in the suburbs in America, or even here in the UK if you're working class, to get that privilege to travel for fun or travel for an experience so I think it is quite understandable yeah it just feels like one of those missed opportunity moments they could have like had some sort of fantasy sequence of all the mishaps he could get up to in France they'd be looking forward to getting all that free wine just feels like one of those moments that was just kind of a bit of a letdown kind of a, one of the weaker aspects of the plot of the episode well I thought it'd only be fair if we get a native Frenchman on the podcast as well to say his uh two cents or do euro uh, on this episode. So here's my good friend Val with uh, his own uh, two cents. You asked me what I thought as a French native speaker about uh, this episode of The Simpsons, which is called, I guess, um, The Crepes of Wrath. Uh, sorry for my accent. Um, so it's uh, an episode in which Bart goes or thinks he will go to um, a castle in France to produce some wine 
so I've got a few things to say about um, the description of uh, uh, the way uh, we live in France. First, I must admit I'm not an expert of The Simpsons, even if I watched uh, some episodes when I was younger, and I didn't know there was a, an episode which happens in France. At first, I must admit I thought it would be a cliché episode, uh, especially when I saw that Bart arrived uh, in Paris, and the first uh, thing um, I saw was uh, the Eiffel Tower, which is obviously one of the most famous places in Paris. Um, also, when Paris was described as a busy, overcrowded city, which is kind of true. Moreover, there was this uh, funny scene where Bart crosses um, uh, on a bike a few very famous paintings uh, like um, Le Déjeuner sur l'herbe by Manet and I think there was also um, a painting by Van Gogh, but I'm not sure. It was interesting to note how the TV show turns the cliché upside down, especially with uh, the two farmers who are very, very nasty and live, I think, like in the 18th century. I'm not sure our farmers live like that nowadays. One thing that I think was particularly unrealistic was the fact that these farmers speak English and actually a good English even if they have a strange accent. In fact, I listened to the original soundtrack and when they speak French between each other there's a kind of American accent which is very weird for a French native speaker. While in the French soundtrack they speak with a southern accent which is very funny to listen to. By the way, my brother um, is a enologist. I don't know if, it's, if this word exists in English. Uh, basically, it means that he produces some wine. And um, I asked him about um, um, the, the fermentation of the wine and he told me indeed that the wine had to ferment between five days and one month, so three days was definitely a bad idea. Moreover, I did some research uh, on the anecdote of the wine uh, and the antifreeze. And I found, uh, but it was not in France, I think it was in Hungary, I found that um, a wine grower, a Hungarian uh, wine grower, used antifreeze in his wine uh, to prevent the robbers from stealing him his wine. And the robbers still stole the wine and they died. So it's still in the news. To sum up, it was a fascinating episode. You know that The Simpsons are based on caricature which is itself based on reality, so you can find this episode a few elements that are real, that are true. Um, I was thinking about um, the, the description of the Parisian way of life, and you have other things that are false or at least exaggerated, and that's why it's so interesting to watch The Simpsons. And with this episode, I think what is particularly interesting is that um, the, um, the Simpsons invite us to love about not only America, but about the other cultures, especially France and 
I hope other countries too. Bart's waiting for his plane there and uh, for these uh, trendy vinyl, it's not even vinyl anymore, for these trendy TikTok kids out there, um, he gets yeeted onto the plane. <laughs> that was incredibly cartoony. Like I, I loved it for that split second, but I thought that's like really exceptional. Uh, is one of you going on the flight? Yes, sir, me. Oh, come with me. Yeet! And he was in. Just one of those random moments of child abuse that Bart gets every so yeah. often. Not even from Homer itself, it was from the flight attendant. It was very peculiar. Adil was very caring and respectful, and Homer takes an instant shine to Adil, even calling him dad and uh, Marge, mother, and that. And later on, I'll say um, my absolute favourite moment from this episode is the little new dynamic of Homer and Adil. Just Homer, like, he's known him 10 minutes. And he's fully embraced him as a new son and part of the family and just can't see any sort of wrong with him. Oh yeah, I do think the ideal subplot is absolutely the best part of the episode. It's just so funny. This sweet, innocent little kid is actually just a spy looking for nuclear material. Then it just turns into this big thing. It, that feels like one of those classic Simpsons moments. And Homer's just none the wiser. Bart arrives in France and he meets one of the... Two people who's with, um, Ule, I believe, the skinnier fellow with the big nose. He tells him to get onto his, um, get onto his bike and they hop through. And this sequence, I, now, I was aware that they're obviously famous paintings, but I don't know if they're all French famous paintings. I'm sure I recognise a Picasso or Manet in there, but I didn't expect that much of a flourish with these deep references from early out, then. Yeah, I have to assume they're all French, uh, French paintings. But also, like, uh, there's references to a popular French film from 1986 I'm trying to remember the name of. Uh, Jean de Florette's, which is what the two French people that Bart stays with are in reference to. Oh, is that where he got the names from, then? Yeah. The, oh, okay. Caesar and... Oudouet. Oudouet, yes. yes. Which uh, is another one of those cut-deep preferences for The Simpsons, because how many people in the audience are even going to understand that? But he arrives at... Um... Chateau du Maison, and it's a dump. It's like those, you know, those fucking EasyJet holidays you book. Oh, it's £250 in Benidorm, and it's just like a shack, and there's no toilet paper, and you've got to get a bucket full of water and wash the shit down with it. It's one of those operations, Dan. Not good. Yeah, this is kind of one of those ways on how the episode falls flat for me, is I feel Bart's suffering becomes too much. It just becomes miserable exactly. to watch. Yeah, I don't want to... Th and, I mean, I'll say it. I thought a lot of, like, human trafficking a tiny bit, and I don't really want to think about that with a primetime animated sitcom. It, I think it went a bit too... Not too dark, but it just went a bit too real. Yeah, and they've done episodes where they've done the children suffering before really good. Well, not before this episode, but in general, like uh, Camp Krusty, or when they go to military school. Yeah. Like, these are episodes where you see the children being miserable in horrible situations, but they still make it work. Either because there's a good balance between in the misery and the optimism, or because they are just funny enough to get away with it. And this episode doesn't really have either. I think maybe if initially he got one over on the two French lads, then it would kind of unease the tension a bit. But yeah, for the longest time, it's just him facing ordeal after ordeal after ordeal. They give the cap to the donkey and that, just facing everything just a bit too down for me. Yeah, at one point they literally tried to poison him. Yeah, with antifreeze. And I didn't even know that was a real thing. That was a big 80s scandal mixing oh, 
diacetyl or whatever, but essentially antifreeze into lime to speed up the process. I had no idea that was a real thing. Howdy, this is just a reminder that if you're enjoying the content so far, loving our podcast, loving the episode, go over to facebook.com and search for Uncle Mo's Family Feedback, a British podcast, and give us a like there. We'll update you on all of our exclusive content and posts as well. Also, if you're in the mood for a bit more Simpsons and more Simpsons podcasts, go over and check out the 411 folks on Facebook and SoundCloud as well. They do lots of great impressions, great analysis of the episodes, and it's generally a good time. And now back with your regularly scheduled listening. Yeah, so in a way this episode just kind of comes too depressing to watch at points. Thankfully it's relatively short, but extreme in that time it has. Cut back to um, Adil fitting in with the Simpsons family and arguing with Lisa about socialism, of all things. Yeah, um, I mean usually Lisa's talking about the follies of man and America itself, but she's been fairly jingoistic and patriarch saying this is America, the land of the free. And, I mean, to me, I think this might be the smartest Homer has ever been. Absolutely. Without it being a direct joke. Maybe Adil's got a plan about, you know, the blood of the workers. I I do love those moments where Homer is just randomly smart. Like, one of my all-time favourite Simpsons quotes is when he shouts, In this house we obey the laws of thermodynamics! <laughs> Yeah, I've seen, I believe that is in your Twitter bio, isn't it? It is. It's those little odd um, pseudo facts you can just pluck out from his head that does add to the comedy. I do like that as well. Homer's taking a complete shine to a deal, and Marge is having to sort of pull him away, saying, Well, Bart's a good kid, he's just a bit of a wrong one sometimes. And we're getting up to the bit now where, again, uh, this is the two good parts of like the Homer Adil dynamic and Marge's letter to Bart, because I found it really sweet and open because it's not overly um it's not overly saccharine and sweet it's more just her reassuring him like any sort of loving mother that even really like the line of like um lisa got another rain test i'm not telling you to put you down i'm just saying that as a you know concerned brother would want i thought it was really sweet Dan. i think there is something a little bit harrowing because just before that there's a scene of Marge and Homer in bed talking about it where she kind of has to nudge uh, Homer into saying that he loves his son. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that was definitely on purpose but I like the fact she is that high of standard of mother that she's twisting it to comfort her son and possibly even though she doesn't know the full story to get him through this hard time. Exactly, but the fact that uh, she does manipulate him that way and then says in the letter, oh, your father's talking about how much he loves you. Honestly, it's it's a little bit saddening. You think? I think this is one of the worst episodes for Bart and Homer's relationship. I even like the fact that Bart, he doesn't want anyone to see him cry, so he blows out the candle. Like, I know you think it's too harrowing, but I think it's really sweet and poetic. You know, there's nothing wrong with sort of a tiny bit of sadness in cartoons, but I like that. It's very only, it's very sweet. Oh yeah, no, I, I love it when The Simpsons does get dramatic and sweet like this. It's just one of those matters of, it kind of comes across as Bart has completely given up. He's just... Oh, okay. All right, I understand you now. He's yeah. beyond misery here, like there's no escape. That's just kind of how I always interpret this this scene and this episode. But it reaches the, um, well, the next day and soon to be the final day of Bart working at Chateau de Maison and uh, César Nunglin are um, being shifty and they're going to put antifreeze in their wine to help speed up the process, and I don't know, it's just, again, Bart being all sad in the rain that he's caught wise to their act, but they just, 
I mean, they were quite stupid enough to say, oh, what are you doing? Get out of here when they've already seen him commit the crime. So, oh, bring him, bring him in and um, let him be our guinea pig. Now, in a month of Sundays, now with current TV laws and that, you can't have a child drink something that's been poisoned now, can you? I mean... I'm well, a, maybe not in animation. I'm assuming a scene like this would still be fine today, you know? Probably wouldn't be allowed to show at 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon or mm, anything. Yeah. But just on regular primetime television, worse stuff still happens. Mm. Even in The Simpsons. <coughs> what are you doing? Get out of here! Sorry. Uh, on second thought, Bart! Bart, uh, come here. Drink this. Oh, I know, thanks. Sir. Do not worry. This is France. <laughs> it is customary for children to take a little wine now and then. Yeah, but it's got antifreeze in there. Drink it! Bart is um, then told to go out and get the antifreeze because he's done every sort of dog's body work. Why wouldn't he do anything else? He's sort of been forced to as well. Ah, but before um, we get to the sort of third act, let's talk about... Well, my favourite part, Homer and Deal, loving each other and being at the nuclear power plant. I do say loving, Adil's got an ulterior motive, hasn't he, Danny? I just love how obviously evil Adil is. With little shifty eyes. Yeah, just sending messages in Morse code in the middle of the night. What is it? Uh, Sparrow to the nest or something like that? Sparrow to the nest. Exactly, just having this uber-cute character just be vilified that easily. That type of contrast is always funny. But Homer's just trying to teach him the way of the American workplace, you know, we've got chocolate, ice, and jelly donuts. How about that for freedom? Got his ignorance to just the very obvious shady stuff, which, to be fair, obviously, no one would assume a kid taking photos. You think it's just like, oh, it's a tourist thing. Yeah, he calls him a cute shutterbug, which I haven't, I haven't ever heard that shutterbug line in quite a while. But I can also relate to, um, you know, he wants to see the plutonium isolation chamber, but he asks Lenny, oh, we've got one of them plutonium isolation dealers. Yeah, in 6 12. Sector 12. Upstairs by the candy machine. Oh, that's Sector 12. Like, can you only relate a location to, like, a landmark or... Oh, it's just by the McDonald's. Oh, yeah. I don't remember street names or anything. I just remember buildings <laughs> on the street. And just corporate fast food restaurants. Exactly. But, you know, it works. I never get lost. So if we're doing the exact same thing, it's a bit weird in his own workplace. But we're back to Bart. He's um trying to get antifreeze and the pouring rain. It is like a very French cinematic film. It's all dramatic and dark and rainy and he finds a French officer but um you know it's the communication divide the language divide nothing's happening but um he gives him now it's very early season one with animation that but um I, is this a biscuit or what is this Dan? I think he said it was candy yeah yeah just a little sweet for him but wolfs it down but he's not able to help him he's walking away Bart's feeling sorry for himself he's been in this country for a Dumont and he can't speak a word of French, but then all of a sudden, as if that um, little sweet gave him some sort of powers, he's able to speak fluent French and tell the officer and get him out of that situation. They gave the donkey the red hat and they put antifreeze in the wine. And then, um, yeah, Cezanne Ulling get arrested. I mean, what did you... Because I'm not that fussed about, you know, the need to wrap up the episode. So him just having a moment where he finds out he can go into the recess of his mind and pick out all this language. I wasn't too annoyed with that sudden turnaround. No, that is one of those things that I can definitely see people saying is a nitpick type thing. But I mean, it's not great, but it's I, I forgive it. 
Yeah, it doesn't bother me that much. Also, when you think about it, that ends up becoming quite a consistent trait with Bar, being able to pick up foreign languages very quickly. Like in future travel episodes, he learns Spanish when they go to Brazil and forgets it instantaneously. Knocks it out with the phone. Yeah. yeah, they go to Japan and after a night in prison, he learns the language fluently. That's actually a recurring trait in Bar. Another one of those kind of like Homer, Homer in a way, where he has surprisingly smart moments. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely, yeah. But also, this police officer, I have quite a few opinions on him. Oh, did, oh right, I had, I mean, I had nothing to say, but please take the mic. Like, who is this asshole who sees a foreign child in tattered clothes in the middle of the rain, very clearly distressed, <laughs> and is like, oh, I'll just give him a biscuit. I'll, I'll cheer him up. Just, how bad are you at your job? You clearly take this kid in and find someone to help him. Because no matter what he's saying, it's nothing good. No, it's not his son, mate. It's not his responsibility, is it? He's a police hey, the, officer! These bloody lazy Americans. <laughs> but then, I do love that when Bart finally is able to speak to him and tell him the problem. He ends it by saying, like he talks about the antifreeze, but he ends it by saying, and then they gave the donkey my red hat. Like that was the biggest crime of it all. Oh, I tip the iceberg, fella. <laughs> That's his lucky red hat. Yeah, and then finally the police officer does his job because he's an idiot who can't understand basic body language. Cesar and Glenn get arrested and they can't believe this. Again, um, now I know this is pre-massively sort of super fast fiber broadband and Twitter and I think maybe even AOL. But um, do you think this would reach the States? Because it's, I suppose, like with the British press and all that, oh, you know, this British person was arrested in this foreign land, do you think that would reach Homer and Marge, or do you think not? I mean, Homer and Marge definitely should have been told about this. It never actually gets brought up with them, which is always a bit strange. In terms of it becoming a public news story, not to be cynical, but it wouldn't. The reason why is the kid lived. Bart gets on the, the national press, he gets on Le Pipo as well, and he gets all the French gifts, doesn't he? He gets a, he gets a medal at one point. gets a medal, gets a beret, big baguette. Um, I believe, I didn't put this joke on our Facebook page, but, um, I put the image on my Instagram of Bart coming off the plane with a big sack of all sorts of French goods and that, and it just reminds me of going into Aldi wrecked and buying a load of random shit. Again, for any international listeners, Aldi, it's gotten a lot better than what it used to be, like, it's generally good produce and that, but they will put on some random shit on sale, like, oh, do you fancy a pack of meat and ski boots? And a trellis, then please go to Aldi. And that was just encapsulated so well with Bart, I think. Well, you can fill a whole whole, a whole uh, shopping cart with groceries for just 20 quid. That's... I don't care how, how bad quality it is. That's a good deal. Oh, I shouldn't be speaking that much. Aldi, get on to us. Sponsor this show. We haven't even got Patreon. Get on this, please. Yeah, the way how it turns into quite a big thing with Bart getting the medal, getting all this success and everything. I can see... The skeleton for the joke there, I don't think it plays off that well. I think it's a rather bit rushed. Oh, okay. That feels like like one that would have been much more polished later on in later seasons. Like, they really would have milked it for all they could and extended that to, a, like, a whole scene of Bart getting just as many rewards as he did. Oh, right. Because, you know, oh, you can see how they go there. Oh, no, they're messing with the wine, but we are French. Our wine is sacred to us. And then it finishes just by Homer being a Burke again with a bottle of red wine just saying oh some arseholes popped a cork in it here but the real the real uh satisfying ending is how it ends for a deal getting sent back to albania oh we did i'm sorry listeners we didn't even speak about this i get an, again another possible best bit of the episode the fact that 
the FBI cotton onto a deal. Um, they've got a whole brigade out of the Evergreen Terrace house. And, and Homer still doesn't catch on. No, he's, ooh, trouble in the neighbourhood, let's go out. And he just goes up to like the director of the operation and say, ooh, what's happening? And he just outright tells him, yeah. not like it's confidential. I like that he kind of turns into a game where he says, well, I, I've told you all I can, but I'll give you a little bit more and say it's he's from a country beginning with the letter A. And then when he finally gets sent off on the plane, they do... Like a prisoner exchange with an American kid who was spying on them. Yeah. And they kind of have this banter like these are old rivals. So Sparrow, we meet again. It's it's just such a wonderful mm. moment. This is absolutely the highlight of the episode. And Homer is so tear-felt in waving and goodbye. Goodbye, Neil. I'll send you those civil defense plans. <laughs> like, you're still fucking clueless. The fact that Homer never catches on is so innocent and lovely. All right, Sparrow, we know you're in there. We'll give you one minute to surrender. Oh, my. Ooh, trouble in the neighborhood. Let's check it out. I'm his neighbor. What'd he do? Well, sir. The... Well, sir. <laughs> We've been on the trail of a spy transmitting highly confidential information to an unfriendly nation. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Through the use of radio triangulation, we tracked him to exactly this point. Wow. That's all I can tell you. Oh. All right. Well, the name of his country starts with the letter A. Mmm. Time's Ooh. up, Sparrow. We're coming in after you. Wiz, a deal would get a kick out of seeing this. A deal? A sparrow. Goodbye, a deal. I'll send you those civil defense plans you wanted. And with um, Bart giving them all the gifts and calling his father a buffoon, that's how the episode ends. Um, So, overall, Dan, I'd say, you know, there's flashes of brilliance, but overall I wasn't too impressed with it. I don't know about yourself. No, for me, I do think it is one of the better season one episodes. You can see, like, they're almost there figuring out their formula and what they want it to be. But there are just, there are some tonal issues with it. And I think you can just tell it's a good enough premise, but later seasons would have done it even better. But you do get a lot of firsts in this episode. Like, we get Principal Skinner's mother for the first time. It's the first travel episode. You get these hints of character traits within people like Bart and Homer that you would get explored later on. So overall, I do think it's a fine enough episode for its time, but honestly, it's it's not one I go back to rewatch all the time. They're still finding their feet and finding their niches, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Now, with uh, our Uncle Moe's ranking Danny, we're not um, that conventional. Well, we're conventional in, I say we, Cal just does what he wants. What I like to do is, out of five, it would be, say, five red bottles of wine out of five, or five Cezanne Ublin out of five. Um, how would you rate this episode? Out of five, or out of seven, ten, whatever you want to do? Uh, I'll stick to a traditional formula. I'd probably give it, like, a 2.5 out of five. All right. Not, not too terrible. Good enough to watch, but... Nothing too special in the end. Now, I'm juggling between the 1.5 and the 2, but I'm also juggling as what some sort of uh, what gimmick to sort of give it. I'll go... Um, Red balloons. See, if this was German episode, I could go for 99 <laughs> balloons, but unfortunately not. I will go with a generous 2 out of 5 um, donkeys wearing hats. Because <laughs> that's what I seem to mention in the foreground here. Two out of five donkeys, red hats for me. The most important event to happen in France. A donkey wore a red hat. Okay, we're going to give that random episode generator a petit spin and uh, see what we're reviewing next. 
We're going to season three to review Saturdays of Thunder. Um, if you can like our Facebook page, that's Uncle Mo's Family Feedback, a British Simpsons podcast. And same with our SoundCloud, uh, Uncle Mo's Family Feedback, Simpsons podcast. And we will see you next time. Take care, folks. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good.